0: Welcome to Good Life, I'm Dean Wilson, so glad you've joined us. You can always find us at goodlifetelevision.org, all the social media platforms. It's it's so great to be here, it's so great that you're here with us. Uh, the goal here is to inspire, to encourage, uh, to honor, to educate, and to empower. And we do that by telling great stories and meeting great people and introducing you to great people. And we have one of them here with us today, Maria Hernandez is with me, welcome. Thank you, it's great uh, to be here. Maria is the founder of the Vita Center here in Santa Barbara, California, and we're going to get into that part and, her, and the work that she's doing uh, in a minute. But I wanted to kind of start, you have a powerful story, we were talking about this a minute ago, and um, what you and your husband Oscar have done, and then, and then your vision, and what you want to do is compelling and exciting. But start with kind of your upbringing. I know you were born and raised here, but talk about kind of your upbringing, your your hardworking immigrant parents. I know had a big impact on you, but talk a little bit about your upbringing.
1: Um, Upbringing was pretty interesting. I was very fortunate because I was born and raised in Santa Barbara, so Santa Barbara has had a complete and utter like unique impact on my life and and what happened. So um, halfway up to my childhood, I would say we were pretty middle class even though I had immigrant parents um and i say immigrant because i don't know if that even qualifies my dad came over on the bracero program i don't know if you remember that Mm. in the 50s and 60s workers were asked to come yeah right (laughs) we didn't have to you know illegally cross the border so uh fortunately he was one of those people and um his uh, employer sponsored him to get citizenship eventually. Oh. And then we ended up, um, and so somehow, my parents ended up settling here in Santa Barbara, and that was, good choice. Th- yeah, <laughs> it has made all the difference in my life. Wow. So um, my parents ended up separating and divorcing when I was about 12, and we went from being um, lower middle class probably, to um, being on social services with my mom. And so I always say I'm a product of nonprofit services and social services. And that really had an impact on the decision to become a social worker, a professional social worker. Right. And um, that's what I did at 17. I decided I was gonna be a professional social worker. And I also decided at 17, um, I'm one of nine children. Wow. Yeah. So I also decided that I wasn't gonna become a parent until I could give a child what they deserved which was everything I felt I had lacked in my own childhood, you know, time, nurturance, love, attention. And uh, I met my husband very sort of like coincidentally, and we were dating for three years. And as we started getting serious, I was gonna move to LA to finish school out there. And I told him, I said, you know, um, if this becomes a little more serious, I just want you to know that whoever I marry has to be okay with the fact that I may never have a child, or if I do, I also want to adopt. Because I wasn't sure that I wanted to bring more children. My mom had done her part right. <laughs> with my kids. Yeah. yeah, she had the numbers. So I was, and then I had, um, Santa Barbara has been so unique. And it's interesting because in high school, the idea of adopting, that's where it came in. Mm-hmm. And I had a girlfriend, a Suzanne, she's so amazing. She. Um, he was probably a vegan before it was even coined at least you know popular language and culture uh she rode her bike everywhere and we talked about adopting in high school really and not contributing to the world pop you know o- over the popul over population of the world and so um it was interesting i had a very unique upbringing here in santa barbara i was um a soccer player so i really got to enjoy my high school time i'm a don You're <laughs> go dogs. <laughs> you know it's interesting because I remember also um, growing up in Santa Barbara was very unique in that when I when my dad was still with us he he was a gardener probably would have been called the landscaper nowadays but he was a gardener in the Montecito estates mm. and so I would work with him on the weekends oh, really? and I got to see the wealth that existed right. in this world literally i mean estates that you had to get on the little carts to go to like the you know guest house right like a mile away right. <laughs> it was amazing so all of that sort of like percolated in my in my mind i didn't realize it at the time i wanted to give back i knew that because as having received what i received as a young adolescent through my mom when she was you know struggling to raise the last of her four kids um, and then also that, that idea of wealth and business mm-hmm. always sort of, cause my dad had his own business, his gardening business. So it just kind of created this very unique, I think now I look back on it. I, you know, I, I can, in retrospect, in hindsight, I can see how it all kind of came together, but I've always been interested in, in building a business and wealth and serving her humanity.
0: Yeah.
1: Beautiful. And so, yeah, um, that's kind of that's where beautiful. I'm at. <laughs>
0: And you you did obtain your master's degree in social work from UCLA in nineteen ninety seven and became a licensed clinical social worker in two thousand nine. So this is something you always knew you wanted to do. I mean that was clear. Which is rare for somebody that young to Yeah have that. But it's because of what happened to you, right? It's because
1: of what happened and some, you know, um synchronicity I guess or coincidence. I I had good grades in high school, but you know, I was uh, even though my brother had gone to college we were I mean college wasn't spoken about mm. and so and I hung out with all the you know Montecito a lot of Montecito kids and they all went off to college and I I don't remember even like applying to college mm. Yeah, it was really interesting and coincidentally or synchronistically my brother who lives in Dallas. We were just talking about dallas um, He was already over at Carleton College in Minnesota. He was pre-med and he came home one summer and I had just graduated from the high school. And he's like, what are you gonna do? What, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. Well, like, what are you doing with your life? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, you gotta go to school. You, you, you gotta be a doctor. You should be a doctor like me. And just sign up for City College and, and be a pre-med student. That's all you gotta tell him, you're a pre-med. Okay, so I was a pre-med student for um, my first semester at City College. Wow. And then I I like sharing this story because it's funny how things work out, but I went into the career center one day, just synchronistically, randomly. And I took, I, they did an assessment on like what your career interests might be. And I took answered all the questions and it actually said that I would, uh, social services, human services, I think was the field. The helping profession was what I was geared towards because of my answers. And I saw a video on social workers, the whole gamut of social workers, you know, schools, children and families, uh, counselors, everything. And they all said the same thing. You have to get your master's in social work to make a living in this field. Mm. And so I was like, that's it. I know what I wanna do. And I remember um, my brother checked in with me a few months later, maybe the second semester, I was at City College and he was so disappointed. That I was going to be a social worker and not a doctor (laughs) he said don't do it don't do it whatever you do don't do it you can help people by being a doctor you're going to be 40 you have gray hair addicted to coffee and cigarettes and burnt out you don't want to be a social worker you can help people by being a doctor (laughs) and I was like no I'm gonna this is what I want to do and so I ended up going into social work
0: but. Isn't that amazing how you know your experience, your because of the situation you were in after the divorce, and kind of having kind of a more challenging environment where you relied on those nonprofits, those services, yeah, that had a major, major imprint, action. you know, in what you want to do which is incredible
1: yeah and good yes
0: yeah I mean it's not great that you're in that position but it's look what it's led to
1: yeah I I don't regret even <clears throat> even going into social work It's it's been a challenge especially when you have that like for me I mentioned I have that wanting to build a business and social entrepreneurship is like one of my big passions and so it's always like uh, barely you know sort of surviving with the social work salary and degree right. um, but to this day, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. That's Would so not great. change it for the
0: world. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the work you're doing and in, in the Vita Center that you founded. You're launching. It's difficult during the a pandemic to launch anything or do much, mm-hmm. but you've continued on. Um, but I want to get into a little bit of your story, but in, because I think this is so perfect for today. The, the environments that we're in it just seems like this is more needed than ever before um, but but maybe we could back up one step and, and before we came on you, were, you we were talking about Greg Boyle mm-hmm. so Greg Boyle for those of you who don't know he's the founder is the founder of homeboy Industries in Los Angeles they do unbelievable work and he's become a national hero in many respects in this regard he came on good life and you saw that episode but you were talking about him what is it about him and them that inspires you
1: Uh, I think it goes back to you know growing up at 12 I mean my parents were separated here we had my dad had owned homes in Santa Barbara and then next thing we know we're on public housing you know um, because he sold his home and went and bought some property in Mexico and pretty much you know abandoned his family yeah so I decided, like I said, to go into the social work profession because I really wanted to help and give back because I realized that I would not have gotten to where I had gotten without the help of nonprofits and social services. And I went into my master's in social work thinking that um, social workers were uh, like social advocates. And we are. But the program that I got into at the time, and I think it was just, um, it didn't matter which program, I w- I, w- I got my master's at UCLA. But if I had gone to USC, it would have been the same thing or any other program, but um, there was really a focus to um, training social workers to be clinical social workers, to go into more like the counseling and therapy. Um, if you chose a micro path, meaning one-on-one. Right. There was this, and I was really disappointed. I was this close to actually leaving, no, no. yeah. Because I thought, and I remember somebody, one of my advisors said, just finish your finish your degree and then you can do whatever you want with it. So I um, had been really impressed when I was 12 or 13 by a uh, rec program actually run by the city over on the west side where we lived really temporarily um, for a couple of years. And they took us out backpacking and camping and we danced. They, I mean, it was kind of like probably the program that you guys have right. at um, your yeah, yeah at the village and so that just like like you said it imprinted my mind with something that I wanted to do for kids in the future mm-hmm. so I went to graduate school and my second year so my second year at um, graduate school UCLA we went to a conference uh, for social workers I believe it was like a national conference or something and father Gregory Boyle was there and oh, he yeah. was the keynote speaker okay and he mentioned Homeboy Industries and what he had done, and I said, "This is why I got my degree, because I want to build something just like that." Wow. And one of the things that struck me the most about his program, which is what I believe is really important and I want to incorporate into be the center, is giving young kids uh, fine, you know like some I call it personal sustainability, a way to make money. A way to just earn money because right. when i was i mean my work with my parents my mom was a housekeeper at the hotels on you know west beach east beach and she would take us on the weekends and then my dad you know would take us gardening on the weekends and they paid us i mean they gave us money mm. and i was 12 and i was like this is cool mm-hmm. and then i actually got my first job at 14 on at sam's to go on milpa street Oh, really? And i was 14 and i was earning about 200 and something dollars yeah (laughs) and so I remember like I could keep up with my friends that you know parents gave them cars or paid for stuff and I just remember always being uh, having this feeling that money is freedom and not just freedom but there's there's a sense of like fulfillment in earning your own money dignity Dignity. and to have fun you know because that's a lot of times teens there's just so many stressors right now, Yeah. so many stressors. Yeah. And how are we helping them to actually have fun, too?
0: Right. 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 So right. That,
1: that's why it was so like and, and Homeboy Industries, I think, was based on that model of yeah. giving jobs. Right.
0: You know? Oh, so. that, they've got that thing wired down there. But but yeah, you're right. You know, it's not just because the way you're describing having fun is I work, I get that check and I can have a little bit of fun, and I can feel good about myself, mm-hmm. versus purposelessness, wandering, you know, mm-hmm. there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. And you would think, oh, no responsibilities, that's like, fun. No. Maybe for a week. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> yeah, not long-term. Yeah, exactly. um, You and Oscar made an interesting decision. In addition to having your own birth child, Eric, you adopted a sibling group. Mm-hmm and i think it was about 2006 or so when you started to pursue yeah. this mm-hmm. why did you decide to do that
1: again going back to the the upbringing here in Santa Barbara and my one of my best friends in high school talking about we were going to adopt someday it's ironic she ended up having three of her own children well, she didn't. <laughs> yeah she did so she didn't not, adopt <laughs> well you took three i took three okay, yeah. we not were enough. actually only going to adopt one and then we said maybe two and Honestly, looking back at it, three was not in our, it was not in our like our conscious decision to adopt three, but that's how it turned out. But we had, so we had talked about adopting before we got married, we were dating. And uh, my husband said, yeah, he's like, my husband was born and raised in Mexico. He did immigrate. So his family did immigrate many years ago but I met him when he was about 22 maybe and I was like 19 and we started dating for three years and then we kind of knew it was going to get serious I moved to LA to finish school and uh, and I just said hey if this you know becomes a long term thing like we get married I want to adopt and he's like you know what that idea I don't know why but it's always struck a chord with me. Really? His grandpa used to take in young um, men in Mexico There was he was born in, he was born and raised in Mexico City and um, His grandpa used to take in these he's like, I don't even know who they were. They were just like these young boys or young huh. kids and he's like and uh, his grandparents and um, but his grandpa was the softy, the one with the heart. The grandma would be like, no, we can't defeat anybody else. I'm like, oh, they need you know, a place to stay. So he always had that idea of helping. Wow. And so we made that conscious decision. And then we knew we weren't gonna have children until we had both finished our education and were ready as parents emotionally, financially. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were married for 10 years when we decided to have our own first, if we could, because I didn't, I didn't know if I was gonna be able to have my own um, children. And so we had our son Eric in 2003, and then at three years we felt that was a good age to start bringing in, start thinking about adopting. And we were matched with, a, we had decided on two, and then we were gonna have one more of our own. So we were gonna, we had our own, we were gonna adopt two, and then have one more of our own so we'd have four kids because we wanted to have we both come from large families and we got matched early on with um a toddler a toddler set a sibling set toddlers and i just felt that you know there was a lot of people that can't have their own children and i knew they would be matched almost immediately if we passed up on them and um, i really had i had worked in the field of child welfare for I think about eight years at that point mm-hmm. and i knew that the older children were harder to place to find homes for and so we passed up the toddler set and we passed up a, to- a set of uh, two boys um they were just really far like i think they were like in riverside and, and just being able to visit consistently was going to be hard you know when you when you're matched you're, you start visiting and you know, we lived on the West LA, so by the time we got, it was just going to almost be impossible to, to really uh, visit, yeah. And then our social worker um, from the adoption agency sent us a picture um, of these three siblings, a sibling set of three, Andrew, uh, Marco, and Brenda. And Andrew was in the middle <laughs> And all I saw was my son Eric's face in that face. Really? And I was like, oh, this, I just was, I couldn't see nothing but his face. Wow. There was just a huge resemblance. And I asked my family like, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's like, wow, it was so weird. And we had no desire for three. We we had not wanted three. And she's like, I know you guys don't want three, but I thought I'd send you these kids. and." You know, they're, they're kind of like what you want because you've, wanted, you've said you want older, harder to place. Um, and they don't have any of the issues that, I mean, I'll be real honest. I, there was a whole list of things you say you don't want, like history of mental illness, history of drug use. I checked those off, I mean, my heart's not that big. And people say, oh, your heart's so big. I'm like, well, I checked, I checked off all those things I didn't want. And she said, they're, you know, they've had a steady placement. It's just, they just need a home. And we ended up with going wow. with that. Mm-hmm.
0: So you've so you taken Andrew, Brenda, and Marco, and then, so you guys went through a tragedy. And there's, I mean, and I know this is probably still very difficult, so I'm, I wanna be real sensitive, but, I, but, but you went through uh, something that every, it's like a nightmare for every parent uh, to lose a child. And so you lost Andrew. So I wanted to give you a minute just to kind of reflect. Tell us a little bit about who he was and his kind of special place in your heart. And then I want to get, kind of get to this work and how this has been born out of tragedy in, in a sense. Yeah. But talk about Andrew for just a minute.
1: So Andrew, um, so he was the youngest of the three. So it was Andrew, Marco. And Marco and Andrew are only a year apart. They're both oh. born in July. They're two wow. years, a year and two days apart. And then Brenda is older they actually were um, three of five there was they had two older siblings still in foster care Mm -hmm. Orange County but Andrew so Andrew when we uh, decided that we wanted to move forward with adopting them and having them come into our home join our home through adoption Andrew had just turned six so when we met him he was five but, and then when he, they finally moved in, he had just turned six and Andrew, um, just a very, very special kid, yeah. very special, um, all of, all of my kids, um, but particularly the ones that we adopted, they all have this very gentle, um, like noble soul, mm. all of them. Mm. But Andrew's was like, just so apparent, like from day one. He, he was just at six, he was like the most considerate little kid ever. Wow. He was, and he had, um, unfortunately, he had a lot of, um, he had like a, a, a language development, language, uh, developmental disabilities, like language, speech. He um, were in the foster home where he had been. They had nicknamed him, it was so sad. They had nicknamed him Mudo, um, which means mute in Spanish, Mudo. Mudo. Mm-hmm he could speak, but he would, um, uh, like stutter in a way. It was hard for him to express himself. Mm. It was uh, expressive language disorder. I don't know. They were, they were diagnosed with everything <laughs> under the sun, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. everything under the sun and then some afterwards. Uh, so anyhow, but so he was, eh, and he was also a very anxious kid, very anxious, but he was, um, I don't know if you know much about like behavioral stuff, but there's some kids that are externalizers in their behaviors right. and some that are internalizers. Right. Well, we're all like that, right? So some Even as we probably, grow into yeah. an adulthood, right? Yeah. So Marco and Brenda were the externalizers. Okay. They're the ones we had to just, from day one, rages, tantrums, oppositional defiant, conduct disorder, everything that probably could have been diagnosed with, they got diagnosed with. And Andrew was all internal anxiety with Andrew we um, when this started happening with him we had already had issues Marco from day one was like our our challenge he was our challenge from day one week one <laughs> I think we had a few days <laughs> honeymoon we had a few <laughs> days of honeymoon um and we didn't realize how traumatized the kids were until we started seeing Andrew's stuff stuff <laughs> and um, it all started with uh, projectile vomiting and you know, it's funny because I had been so short I'd been in the field for a while at that point wow. and I, I would have never thought projectile vomiting was actually real Like it just people have this the, the anxiety it's, 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 it's instantaneous like micro oh, wow. milliseconds the anxiety just and it's out Wow yes Yeah, I never experienced it, had never had a child, like in my caseload, that had that. Um, I don't have a history of anxiety, like in my family, for me to have been able to say, you know, okay, this happens. Um, And he also, um, he just struggled. I mean, and there was one night where he actually had hallucinations. It was, and we were sitting there going, this isn't, like, this isn't real. These kids didn't have the placement that you all sort of, like the child welfare system painted for us. And that delved us in, that that dove us into um, having, which I think it was a really good thing at that point, full on psychological testing for all of the kids. And um, yeah, we learned a lot, a lot, a lot about them and their history because we talked to the birth parent, the birth dad and learned everything. So everything I had checked off that I didn't want was all all there. plus (laughs) yeah but he was a beautiful soul beautiful soul and that carried on you know um eventually he be it's funny because going back to like what happened i i don't know i just felt he had overcome his anxiety Hmm. but i i think that he was so good at masking it right And I do think that there were times where it didn't, it wasn't a part of his, um, he overcame it for the most part. He was a very outgoing kid. had lots of friends. It's hard to know. So it's hard to know And, and going to what happened. It's funny that you say, um, and I, and I know you do it out of respect and I appreciate that, um, losing a child, that definitely is a tragedy in and of itself. And it was so funny because after Andrew took his life, I couldn't say he passed. That didn't even make sense to me. He didn't pass. No, he took his life. And um, I think the only reason I can even sit here and talk about it is because he was adopted. I mean, we, and it's funny because we loved Andrew. Like, Andrew, because he was the youngest and because he would, has such a beautiful soul, he was the one that was least affected in terms of his attachment so my older two um and they were all they were diagnosed di- i don't think andrew was maybe he was i don't know but he was able to um i and i think it was because of his age and his uh closeness to our son eric hmm. so he was uh, able to build attachment with us and uh, us with him i cannot say the same is true for our daughter, Brenda, and our son, Marco. And they were diagnosed with attachment disorder very early on, very early on. Um, Not surprising, right? They had gone through, they were in foster care for five years before we, they came into our home, and had had multiple placements. Multiple. I think they had like five in one year. So it was, um, it was pretty I mean, it's not surprising that they can't form a healthy attachment. Right. 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 But Andrew did. And so it's interesting because like, we really felt like, I cannot tell you that I love Marco and Brenda in the same way that I love my son, Eric, it's different. And I know people will say, well, no, yeah, you can't. Well, for me, and I'm just going to be honest and i know part of their trauma had to do with that inability for us to really form genuine attachments but with andrew we did and so when he took his life on may fifteenth, 2018 uh, i almost feel like it's a tragedy upon a tragedy i i always say i don't know if i could have Bounce back so quickly or have been able to talk about it. We started a remembrance for him two months after If it had been my son Eric My biological son. I don't know. I don't know because I feel it's It's so painful. There's the stigma and the shame and the sense of responsibility as a parent All of that is mixed Uh, in there
0: You've been through. And you decided at the memorial, you and your husband Oscar decided at the memorial that you were going to do whatever we had to do so that his life and death were not in vain. And you want to help other young people who are hurting and suffering in silence. And that's the purpose of the Vita Center. So we only have a couple minutes left. But I, I wanted to say, I mean, this Vita Center, if you want to get involved, we'd encourage you to Um you're taking young people ages 16 to 20 who are suffering in silence like Andrew. Maybe you don't see anything, but there's stuff going on inside. You're trying to help reach them. Is right. that right? Yeah,
1: they're the kids that, like, like kids like Andrew, you know, they don't come, well, he did come from a disadvantaged background, but you know, um, a lot of kids, like my, when I was 12 and I came from, you know, public housing, I was obviously kind of at risk or disadvantaged so i was identified and i think there's a lot of young men especially like him he's not failing school he's not a delinquent he's not you know he's just and so i think those kids a lot of those kids kind of just get they fall between the cracks like no one's really paying attention to them and that they're they're not the super smart kids that are college bound and you know (laughs) got programs for them there's just i think there's a whole especially young boys yeah
0: Really. they're trying their best to put up the front of strength and i'm okay but but when you find out what's going on mm-hmm. then it's not okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that is a mm-hmm. noble mission yeah. yeah thank you so we definitely wish you well with that um it's it's the vita center it's Vita center
1: mm-hmm. and, and
0: is there a website yet or is that yes vidacenter.org vita center so v-i-d-a center dot org maria hernandez um thank you for yeah, what you're doing and you. god bless you guys thank you. And, this is uh, great. yeah we we look forward to i know it's turner foundation we look forward to partnering with you however we can to see you reach more of these kids because today i mean even like this pandemic suicide rates are up 90 percent mm-hmm. i mean it's tragic what's mm-hmm. happening today i mean right so the timing of this work is mm-hmm. so important so bless you guys thank you thanks for coming
1: thank you it's a pleasure to be here
0: we'll see you next time